What's up, everybody? Welcome to Bingetown TV. This is Brian here, accompanied as always by my co-pilot, Kyle. And today we're going to be talking part six of the Apple TV Plus limited series, Masters of the Air. If you're still with us after six episodes, you know the drill. But whether you found us on our Masters of the Air feed or Bingetown TV main flagship feed, I would like to reroute you over to that Bingetown TV main feed. We drop pretty much everything that we cover over there, so it won't just be Masters of the Air. And if you want to peruse our entire library, go on over to BingetownTV.com. You can find it all there. And if you feel so inclined, please. Please hit that follow button. That is the easiest, best way and free way to support the podcast. What else are we covering? You might find yourself asking on a lonely winter night such as tonight. Well, we just wrapped on True Detective. We are currently going through the traders. We have solo leveling, which is a great anime coming up. We just recorded our first episode of the live action Netflix adaptation of Avatar The Last Airbender. I think we got a lot of the positives with the negatives. So we're taking that with a grain of salt and we are being as kind as humanly possible and looking ahead. We are very excited for FX's Shogun. That looks very good. And I just saw a quote that it got compared to it might finally be replacing Game of Thrones. This is the show that might fill the vacuum. So fingers crossed that that is true. But what I'm trying to say is we got a lot of irons in the fire and you can find it all on bingetowntv.com. So thank you for your patronage. And we got a part six to discuss today. I think we are still following that format after the first two episodes in the air. We've had every other episode give us an air mission followed by something that stays on the ground. And that has remained true for part six. We do not go on a mission. We do not go in the air. And in fact, I think this... This episode almost feels unique to the series so far. It just had a very different feel. I mean, this is the first time where we really see someone get processed as a prisoner of war through the point of view of Bucky. So we will definitely discuss that. But aside from that, we kind of have our remaining soldiers from the 100th get a much deserved break. Rosie goes to the flack house and kind of contemplates his humanity and kind of the the dichotomy of life as a soldier versus there still is a human being in there. And then we also see Kroz, who is selected to take part in an allied nations conference at Oxford University. And he may be dubbed the Riz King because he gets his flirt on with a 1 a.m. Westgate, but it is a very kind of different episode than what we're used to. I think a lot of the intensity that we have come to expect from this show comes from the Bucky storyline, and I do think we are going to bucket these three storylines and rip them each separately, ending with that Bucky storyline as a POW. I thought it was another really strong episode, maybe a bit slower, but no complaints. Kyle, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. I enjoyed it. I don't think that I got out of the Rosie and Kraz storylines what I was expecting or anticipating. I guess I anticipated more of like a psychological investigation, you could mm-hmm. say. We get a little bit of it Rosie, but overall, I still really enjoyed it. I I liked 
the the woman character what was her name again i'm so sorry alessandra westgate yes. but she goes under am to try and hide her feminine identity yes so i enjoyed her inclusion in this episode a lot the bucky stuff was all really good so i just interesting again we get no quinn and bailey so just kind of wondering where they're at but yeah, I'm not sure if that storyline, we've seen the last of them or what the deal is. Maybe they one day will just show up at Thor Babbitt, mission accomplished by their their two guides, if you will. But I agree, especially since they are giving us a couple of these storylines outside of the main missions and stuff. It is a little curious that we haven't caught up with them. Yeah, but all that to say, it's still a great episode of television. Yeah, for sure. And if you are good with our instant takes, why don't we just get right to it? And why don't we start with that cross storyline? That should be nice and quick. So I think the first scene is a Bucky scene, but then we do get that cross narration where essentially he says, hey, 32 of the original 35 crews and planes are MIA and you know, they're not here anymore. And the rest of the men are just kind of tiptoeing around the ghosts of all of their fallen comrades. And I think he uses the word undone. A lot of the men are coming undone. A lot of them are kind of fighting, getting restless. They're drinking. Maybe they're just sleeping in all day. They're just finding ways to cope. And essentially, this is where we have it explained that Rosie and his crew got sent to the flag house, but Crosby, as I said, got selected by Harding t- to represent the 100th at this conference of the Allied Nations. And sure enough, he is on a train in his opening scene on his way to Oxford University. And I guess kind of right in the beginning, he's talking to this British guy who's just saying, oh, we have a lot of activity pl- activities planned, yada, yada, yada. He asks about his roommate. Have they checked in the subaltern, which is just a name for a lower ranking officer in the British Armed Forces. So the assumption is he's going to have a man roommate, but that does not end up being the case. Classic switch up. Classic mm-hmm. switch up. I, I like that Harding is shown a little bit here to maybe have a heart difficult to know if this is like procedure or not but it seems like they're actually looking out for the the boys in this sense so it seems like it's a nice getaway for Kraz he does seem like a really good choice for this he's not you know a boisterous person but he you know I think he gets along with most people we know that he's intelligent and all those kind of things so this seems like a well-deserved reprieve for him yeah, absolutely. And I agree. I think of all of the characters we've seen in the 100th, Crosby would be a good representative. So we get a scene where he's just in a lecture and the British instructor is talking shit on the Americans saying it took them hundreds of years to produce a document about freedom like the Magna Carta and bubbles under, excuse me, oh, RIP bubbles. Crosby <laughs> under his breath says, hey, maybe if we weren't under your tyrant for a couple hundred years, we would have gotten Declaration of Independence or the Constitution out sooner. This whole episode, I think they're kind of alluding to Crosby maybe having an eye for another woman. In this scene, he kind of makes eye t- contact with that cutie in the other row. And of course, him and Alessandra are kind of low-key flirting the entire time. 
Yeah. No, I don't. Go ahead. I think it now, especially like you're bringing this up and I'm hearing those words. It's interesting to think about his opening monologue, like you said, and it's kind of saying like he's talking about other people and maybe not thinking about himself and how he Mm -hmm. is potentially coping or trying to cope with this. So, yeah, that's a that's a good point. I very clear theme of his storyline is the fact that he is, you know, not necessarily tempted. I don't know. I didn't go that far, but he's thinking these types of thoughts. Definitely. And we do meet Alessandra when Crosby is flexing in the mirror, you know, impersonating <laughs> what I looked up to be uh, Spencer Tracy, who was an old time movie star. And right away, this Alessandra character is she's witty, she's funny, she's charming. So naturally, these two just kind of fit together and it's impossible not to flirt with someone like that. Yeah, but it does seem platonic. She immediately says, hey, I'm good to just keep the rooming arrangements. We don't have to go to the bursar. I see that you're married. So she respects the boundaries there. It It's a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. I like that was a good introduction to her character. So, and later on, kind of the first scene with them together, they're just kind of mingling at like a cocktail hour. And it seems like someone from maybe not the RAF, but the British military kind of just talking smack about the Americans that are living in Britain at the time, saying they're overstaffed, overpaid and over here. But he kind of starts getting personal on them and says, oh, they will pretty much court any woman, whether it be a duchess or a lowly person. And it's weird. He kind of sandbags himself by saying us Brits usually yeah, focus on barmaids. That was interesting. We we know our place, I guess you could say, is is what he was trying to say. But yeah, I mean, it's not crazy that there would be this level of animosity living in these close quarters like that. Mm -hmm. The book that I am reading for that book club the rose code does talk about a little bit how when obviously when we we being the americans joined the war there was a lot of excitement involved and then you get the reality of you know rubbing shoulders with people and all that kind of stuff and obviously that level of animosity can build up because of that but yeah he was just giving it too hard and crosby was like i'm not really interested in this (laughs) at all yeah and Well, Alessandra luckily has his back, and this is another example of how she's just witty and charming and and kind of funny. But I think he ends it by saying, you're all over here acting like you're living it up, getting in bar fights. And Crosby just says, listen, boss, this could literally be their last night to live it up. So you'll excuse me if I'm not going to be the one to tell them to stop. So you can... Stick that in your pipe and smoke it, essentially. Yeah. It's also interesting to think if Kraz would go back to the base. And obviously, like we said, a lot of the main crew that know him personally aren't there. But him trying to yeah, instill discipline in people like Bucky. Oh, God. Like, that just would not go well at all. Absolutely not. No, he's <laughs> not. He's not the shining example of a no. fighting soldier. He's, he's just Crosby. Yeah. yeah. It's... It is funny, though, this isn't the first time they've kind of highlighted that friction between the Brits and the Americans. And I don't know, our two nations have a checkered past checkered past. Thank you. I was thinking of exactly that phrase. It is a checkered past. We do have we do share a language, I will say. So it's 
there yeah. no that's a genuine thing i mean yeah. we share a lot well all of our history is kind of shared with the brits they did start us so i, I don't know there's a lot there so it makes sense that there would be this friction when we go over the over even if we're fighting on the same side of a war yeah but then we get this nice scene where Kroz and Alessandra are taking a walk and she's trying to convince him that she studied punting at Cambridge. It's I totally, for whatever reason, was expecting him to make a joke about like the NFL, like American football mm. when she said punter. I didn't because I didn't know what a punter was. You know, they, they panned to the river, but I'm no NFL historian or football historian, but. I'm wondering what the popularity of American football was in the 40s. The only sport that they've been referencing is baseball. So I would imagine that was the huge sport of the time. I mean, America's pastime. America's pastime. Exactly. So moving along, we do have this scene where Cross and Alessandra are sharing some scotch. And this is where we really (laughs) kind of peel back the layers He's reminiscing about a story of him and Bubbles on a weekend pass and Bubbles invented this game involving quarters and boots. And let's just say I woke up with no quarters or boots. It It was very funny. And then he started giggling. I was like, oh, no, (laughs) I know where this is going. Look, like I said, I think she respects his boundaries. True. But I mean, this was the acknowledgement. By the show of his survivor's guilt. You know, he right when he mentions bubbles, he kind of breaks the friendly act and gets in his feels. And then he blames himself for bubbles death, which Alessandra, I mean, she says exactly what needs to be said. The only reason your friend was in that plane is because Hitler and his band of thugs decided that they should rule the world. Simple as that. Nobody else is to blame. And I don't know. It's some much needed perspective. you can't blame yourself. I mean, it's obvious to us, but yeah, yeah, it's, I can't imagine what the emotion would be like, but I'm sure even though he doesn't really know this woman, it feels good just to have someone say that to you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And with that, I think the crescendo was getting too much too close to a boiling over point and alessandra decides well let's call it a night yeah going along to the next day they're just having another walk through oxford alessandra is very dismissive of the work that she does for the military although like i said a subaltern is a lower ranking officer in the british military so it does seem as though she was doing more than pouring coffee like a lot of the women that we have seen helping the United States Air Force. And as they're on this walk, though, they see a house party. They go in and this woman, Ella Walsh, is performing a song called Tear the Fascists Down, which was originally played by Woody Guthrie. It was like this folk song. I think he was an American. And actually, it came out after the timeline of where we're at right now in the show. But that doesn't matter because it's a song that encapsulates everything that is going on right now tear the fascists down it's pretty on the nose this was we haven't gone through the other buckets but this was a very powerful scene where it was flashing between alessandra and crosby slow dancing and rosie at the flack house and then the stark contrast to bucky being processed at the pow camp yeah i thought the music in this episode was really good we'll talk about Mm -hmm. it a bit more as we go on with the other buckets, but 
that's just funny. I mean, it has to be an American. That sounds just sounds like an American name, Woody. Yeah. Uh, I would feel pretty strongly that that's got to be an American guy. (laughs) Oh, I saw that the the woman who plays Ella. uh, What do they say in the show? Ella Ella Walsh. Ella Walsh. She had posted like a YouTube, like her like official recording of the whole song, Mm -hmm. which people were very interested in. I saw on the on the subreddit. My comment on this is that I didn't catch this either until I was kind of reading more about it of just and I don't know how important this is at all, but it was just like implying that this was like a party of like Oxford leftists. Like this was a group of communists having this party. I don't know how important that is. I just, me personally, I definitely saw the contrast of the fact that Kraz and Alessandro are the only people there in uniform. Okay. That's the only thing that I thought of. And then again, I don't know how much of consequence there is to this, but just interesting. Nonetheless, we know that the Soviets are the allies, but reluctant allies and all that kind of stuff. So I think it just adds to the realism of what's going on. Definitely. I'm no historian, but that political ideology was out there and it was spreading during the time of the war. And then once the Germans were taken care of, that kind of was the main antagonist of the Western countries. So definitely something to think about i think they were playing pin the tail on the hitler it was (laughs) (laughs) it was interesting just to think of a college party during wartime london and i don't have any deeper thoughts than that it's it's just one of those moments where i was like damn world war ii what a what a time to be alive holy crap yeah and kras was giving alessandra that look he was kind of behind her watching the music play and as at first i was like he was looking at the guitar player Ella Walsh and I was like, oh, "Come on, what are you doing there, my friend?" And then, and then Alessandro comes back with the drinks, and then he's looking <laughs> at her, and I was like, "What are you doing there, my friend?" So, you know, not coming from a place of judgment, just a place of observation. Absolutely, they toast bubbles, they have a nice time, they're dancing, and then Cross walks her back home and kind of treating it like a date, like, "Oh, I guess this is good night," and she's like, "We're rooming together, bro," but. <laughs> She then gets an urgent message and has to bike off, actually just takes whatever bike she can find, but not before slipping Crosby her number and says, hey, give me a ring. If you're ever in London, we can go dancing. Back on the cheek. It's wholesome. It's perfect. And that may or may not be the last we see of Alessandra. Feels like it's got to be. But my take on who she is and what she does is heavily informed by again this book that I'm reading, The Rose Code, about the mm-hmm. the code breaking that went on at Bletchley Park. I think that she probably works there. Again, we didn't read the book, the source material type of deal. I just think that that's who she is. She, I don't know necessarily what her role would have been there, but that's just like a theme in the book that I'm reading. Which, while it is historical fiction, it's based off a lot of historical fact, and that they don't tell anybody what they do. They don't tell their husbands. They don't tell their friends. Or anything they just are very tight-lipped about it that's just the vibe that i got off of her and i'm sorry you're getting at a lot of women worked in oh yeah oh, that specific of, yeah, code a breaking of, a ton of women worked at bletchley park yes and i'm sorry bletchley park was like a hub for that yeah. specific intention just breaking german codes yeah Do, are you familiar with huh. the movie i don't know the name of it but better benedict cumberbatch is like the main character. yeah I, I i've actually never seen it and i love him i think here nightly's in it i love her yes. and i love world war ii period pieces obviously so it's on my list yeah that movie is about the enigma code yeah people working at bletchley park essentially so they just worked at like you know taking in the the codes then you know one hut would 
get the codes and and turn them into German. Another hut would then take them and translate them into English, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So it was very like siloed, segmented. You weren't allowed to talk to even other huts mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So she just had this very secretive vibe. The the other interesting thing that I read, which I don't believe this is true because it sounds way too fictional, is that people were trying to imply that this was Queen Elizabeth because it's this. So Queen Elizabeth had that same rank apparently in the service that yeah. she was in, oh. and she mentions when they're drinking the scotch, so like she's you know she, her family's from Scotland. She has a big family because she drinks it fast. So she's like, you know, I have a yeah. big family, so it goes quickly and all that kind of stuff. So people were trying to imply that, but I, it just feels too fictionalized for the fact that this is like not necessarily historical fiction. This is like, that's a stretch and you know it, Queso. Yeah, like, <laughs> that just is way too much of a stretch to me, but interesting nonetheless. I would agree. Well, I really like the context that you provided about the code breakers that seems to fit for me so that's where my head's at too yeah but and they, that's I really mean, cool it seems like they would regularly the code breakers from bletchley park it's you ride a train i don't know how long maybe like a half hour an hour to at yeah. most to get to london for a weekend all that kind of stuff so that's my guess again does it matter no but just maybe some some context on who she is and why she was so secretive yeah. And while she tried to convince Crosby that she studied punting, I do. I took the truth out of that, that she did study at Cambridge. So she may have very well been a college educated young woman. So someone they a mind they would definitely want working on yeah, a yeah. project like that. Yeah, they would definitely have been recruiting people like that. For sure. So that pretty much finishes up the Crosby for this episode. Why don't we just rip through this rosy experience at the black house it's really just him being told he has to rest and him trying to just get out of that soldier mindset and i thought the dr houston character was a good kind of sounding board for him just asking questions like hey man really think about why you were sent here that's it's some pretty crazy stuff you've been through but let's just rip it so i mean the first scene where we see him it's just him pappy and the rest of his crew being processed there's this woman here saying the order of the day is rest we have horses tennis billiards cards like you're just here to rest essentially volleyball Volleyball. eh? hell yeah and he immediately questions how long do i have to be here so we know where rosie's head is at I'm also not sure if they've explicitly said that he was Jewish, but he does say someone asks, yeah, do you ride horses, Rosie? He says Jews from Brooklyn do not ride horses. So that's fair. Rosie has some skin in the game in this war, if if you will. Yeah, for sure. And he has a very interesting conversation with the doctor later. I don't know if we want to jump there, but because there's definitely been a scene before that. The first conversation is right now, actually, where he says, I slept fine. You know, I'm doing fine from the missions. And Dr. Houston's like, that's the third time you said fine. This conversation. You sure you're okay? Yeah. Yeah. It's and he asks him, listen, man, three missions in three days. That's that's pretty crazy stuff. I, I want you to think about why your commanding officer sent you here and thought that you might benefit from this time away. Yeah, and um, it's got to be such a change. I mean, you go through basic training, flight training, military training. You're not really taught to ask questions and you no. know, maybe contemplate on the reasoning behind things. I mean, you you receive orders 
you do orders type of deal. So it, very out of his comfort zone, it feels like. it's it, To me, it seems like it's, I don't want to say it's a detriment because it's not actually detriment, but he talks about later on like the rhythm and it's kind of, it feels a little odd to like, they get there to the base, they do missions and then it's like, okay, like get yourself completely out of this for five days and then come right back to it. And that almost feels like it would be worse, but I don't know. There's a quick scene where he sees a dude crying. And I think that's just him really being like, oh, okay. There are some other humans that process this kind of trauma in different ways than maybe I do. So I think that's his realization. Maybe I don't necessarily benefit from this, but everybody else most likely is getting something out of this time away at the flag house. And that takes us to this conversation that you were talking about where him and Dr. Houston just kind of freely talk about the experience, you know, Dr. Houston was a flight surgeon with the 96th who he flew with on the Bremen round two mission, which was Rosie's first mission. And he essentially just says this war, you know, humans are not, we weren't made to behave in this manner. And Rosie's kind of like, yeah, you're right. But you see people being persecuted and subjugated in the way that they are. And we have to do something, but like what's going on here. This, this is not what you do. If you are a soldier, it's yeah. You don't go crying. You just get back in the seat and you finish the job. Yeah. He's like the definition of the Kobe jobs, not finished meme. It's, Mm -hmm. I think this is kind of the scene where it clicks into place for him, what you were saying about this place is useful for people other than him. When the doctor mentions, because he says, you know, you don't ask famous drummer Gene, insert last name here, to stop drumming. Rupa, actually. And then start again. And the doctor flips it on him essentially and says, you know, but like he's also responsible for the band, not just himself. And I think Rosie is starting to have that like, I am a leader in this sense and you know the people that I'm leading need this time and that's that's okay with me kind of deal. But yeah, and and I said at the top that I wanted a, more of like a psychological evaluation, let's say. And the more yeah. I'm thinking about it, honestly, I think it was it was enough. I feel like we we get the insight into the drive of Rosie, we find out like you're saying about his Jewish heritage. He's very into obviously fighting in this war. He feels like he has a duty to do so and and all that kind of stuff. So I feel okay with it. The more we talk about it and I think about it. And, you know, I don't entirely disagree with his mindset either of I was in a rhythm. I was experiencing life as a soldier day to day to day. And I was three for three. Like I was in the zone I'm not sure that I agree with a commanding officer being able to force someone to take this kind of a break because it is an absolute night and day shift from your day to day as a soldier to, I don't know, going to summer camp for a week. And, you know, it's only going to be for a week and then you have to go right back into it. So is that gap worth it? I don't know. But like you were saying Rosie kind of does come to terms with it, sees that he is a leader and what is good for his men is good for him. And that brings us to Rosie's final scene where 
Well, there's a quick one where he sees Pappy boating, and that, again, emphasizes that his men are enjoying the reprieve from life at Thorpe Abbott. Mm -hmm. And then we get this scene with him finally joining in on the fun and says, hey, we only got a day left here. I want to take some of your money. But they're all swapping stories. And then someone from his plane on the Munster mission essentially says he brings up the story of him (laughs) humming the chant. Yeah. And at first, it's just swapping war stories lighthearted. And then it hits the guy. He was like, that was the first moment in that plane. I was not scared shitless. But more than that, it was the first time I knew I wasn't alone. And everybody just kind of has a five second breather to contemplate that. And then they start playing cards. Yeah. That right there feels like, okay, this was all worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. The culmination of all of that. And again, I I think Rosie is new to the war. He's new to legitimately being a soldier actively fighting a war. So I think he probably thinks he knows what's best for him. Yeah. But I think Harding knew what he was doing. Absolutely. And I thought it was it was a good way to kind of tie this this storyline together. The next person playing cards with them tries to start a story and it flashes between, you know, the scene at the Flack House and a prior scene at Thorpe Abbott's where these two people are telling the same story that we find out is a joke. And it's essentially there's this doomed plane that is going down. Both the pilots are dead. The bombardier has control and they're with the, the control tower, or whatever, asking for landing instructions. And essentially the instructions they're given are to start saying a hail Mary and, you know, make your peace with God. Yeah. And it's obviously and just laugh. one of those. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's <laughs> it's it's one of those stories that I'm sure half of the entire military has heard at this point because it's made the rounds. Everyone's heard it a hundred times. But then we get this nice Crosby narration saying we told each other all kinds of stories, pretty much anything we needed to just get back into that plane and do it all over again. And sure enough, you know, we're done at the plaque house and we see Rosie back at Thorpe Abbott. He is seeing his new plane, which is named after him. It is Rosie's Riveters, <laughs> which actually might have a double meaning. I'm sure Rosie's Riveters was something real. Is but that, that seems like the classic iconic like woman flexing. You might be the, right with the red bandana, like doing a third part to the women working in factories. Okay, I'm in. We can get confirmation on that for the next episode, but yeah. that that sounds very right. That's where my head's going with it. And I think this is one of those scenes where you shouted out the music in this episode. Yeah. It's him kind of just drumming on the door, and then the actual trumpets start blaring the song The Chant by Artie Shaw as he climbs into his yeah. his new plane. That was cool. That was cool. Absolutely, it was. So that is pretty much our rosy storyline for the episode. And I'm just you excited for him going forward. I think this will be a, a good, positive experience for him. We we've seen him lead in by like kind of really taking the reins in the heat of battle, and I'm interested to see what type of like I guess let's call it man management we see from him going forward, potentially outside of the airplane. Yeah. Just to see if, if, you know, he's picking up these things, if he's noticing, if he's maybe like checking in more, maybe silently checking in on the guys and seeing what's what. I mean, as we know, Bucky and Buck aren't there anymore. 
somebody's got to kind of be that guy. You don't necessarily need to be as loud as Bucky or as, you know, Joe cool as Buck, but somebody needs to kind of be the, the, the largest presence in the room that way. So Rosie seems like the prime candidate and I really, really, really enjoy his character. There's a leadership vacuum and Rosie is he's being pegged for the replacement. He he's literally our last guy standing in the 100th. Yeah. I, him and Pappy are really our only named characters who are still yeah. flying. Yeah. Of course, Cross being the new group navigator. Yep. But that's all we got for Rosie this episode. Why don't we go on over to Bucky's storyline, which this whole episode is just a stark contrast between Bucky's storyline of yeah, trying yeah. to evade his, his would-be captors and then being processed as a POW to the other two storylines, which are essentially just rest and relaxation yeah. from from the war effort. But yeah, let's yeah. get into this. This Bucky opening scene is just him in a West Valley farm in Germany. The cabbages. Yes, <laughs> he does get some cabbage. But then there is this this chase scene between him and you know, we get spotted by kids, tells them not to say anything, but the kids start screaming Americaner and the two dads give chase. It, it's a really cool scene in the marshes, especially when he's like on behind the weeds as yeah. the one guy is waiting past. I thought he was going to get away. So did I, at least for a little bit. I mean, I figured he would get captured at some point, but I thought he would maybe evade this initial challenge. Look, it's worth noting that he could have blasted the crap out of the first guy and yeah. then could have had his chance going one on one with the second guy, but he did not. So I, I'm not sure what that says, but it says something about Bucky. He also did not shoot the kids, of course, when they yeah. spotted him, which probably could have saved him. But yeah, I mean, it's my comment on that would be it's a lot easier, I think, to drop a bomb from. 8,000 feet in the air, however many feet in the air, than it is to pull a trigger directly would, in front of someone. I would absolutely agree with that. Yeah. But, you know, the one dad gets him from behind, has a gun pointed at him, and just says, for you, the war's over, which is, that's a good quote. Yeah, I was I was kind of shocked at that, it, positively. Not that I assume all of everyone that's going to be speaking German is going to be an absolutely horrendous person, but I thought that was yeah. like oddly comforting where it was like, hey, bro, you're just going to be a prisoner now. Yeah, that is weird because we do see how some other German citizens treat even yeah. the sight of an American mm -hmm. in their presence. But I agree. I guess it's kind of one of those things that's a case by case. I'm sure yeah. everybody is aware of pow not conventions but what you are supposed to do when presented with a fallen enemy soldier so protocol i guess yeah i don't know it was interesting just rural folk you know they're probably not actually involved in a lot of things yeah definitely keep it to themselves and their cabbages they were packing heat though yeah Say that. oh, that's fair that's fair so Bucky's caught. The next time we see him, he's on a train, and I think he has a brief exchange with one of the other prisoners, and he's like, yo, do you think we can make a make a run for that guy's ankle? I'm not sure if he saw a weapon. 
but it was the dream of escape was over before it even started. There's German troops everywhere. They're pounding, yelling in their face. There, There is no escape once you're caught. And sure enough, they are led off of the train. This was probably one of the more powerful scenes of the episode when they are being marched through the recently bombed German city. Yeah. And the crowd just grows increasingly restless once they see that they're Americans and they start throwing punches and drawing weapons of their own. And the commanding German officer says, why are you protecting them? Just step back and let what happens happens. Let them fend for themselves. Yeah, I was interested and I didn't have the time. I should have made the time to look up the the truth behind this seems very believable in the circumstances. I was just kind of curious if this was this was something that happened or if this was kind of a dramatized event to kind of showcase something. Uh, although obviously it can be both. It was just interesting, yeah, and like we were just talking about the rural folk who are out of it. I think yeah, at a human level you can probably understand the feelings behind that anger. I mean, they're literally trying to pull their loved ones it seems out of the rubble of their own homes due to these bombs that were dropped so yeah just just a wild scene i did i just did not expect it i I assumed once he was captured and was being transported like okay maybe he'll get interrogated and then he'll end up in a in a pow camp i just i didn't see this detour yeah and i'm not even sure what the objective of marching them through that street was what was waiting at point B, wherever they were supposed to be going. Sure enough, we don't see one of the guards draws his guns and just starts executing some of the American soldiers. Bucky only gets spared because his clip runs out of bullets. Bucky gets knocked out, hit over the head, and the next time that he he comes to is on the back of a body cart. He is next to another soldier who's really out of it, just kind of mumbling what seems like a prayer, And the cart is being driven by two Germans. He has to sit idly by as the person mumbling gets executed with a shovel. The two Germans go to dig a grave for all the bodies and Bucky sees his chance to escape. The two Germans realize that he's trying to escape and they just say, let him go. He's not going to make it far. And that winds up being true. The next time we catch up with him is passed out in the forest. And he is once again held at gunpoint by two German soldiers. Well, seems to work out way better for him. Yeah. I mean, those guys were definitely just going to, once they realized that he was still alive, we're probably going to kill him. So yep. they pretty much let him live and become a prisoner, which I guess in their minds, they don't give a shit. No, those two were not dressed like they were soldiers no. either. So I'm sure that's just the yeah. people that drive the body cart. Yeah. So he gets found by the two German soldiers and is taken to Dulag Luft. POW transit camp in Frankfurt. And that is just a quick scene. I mean, I'm sure they have so many POWs and the infrastructure for that is it can't be established. I'm yeah. sure they probably the don't care to upgrade either. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the militaries aren't breaking the bank trying to establish the POW infrastructure, but yeah. that's where he goes. The transit center. I'm sure they go there before they it is decided which which stalag they they wind up in i think this next scene where bucky is being interrogated by a lieutenant houseman who is the german officer this was probably the most interesting scene of the episode for me and i 
It's almost laughable how easy it is to typecast just the German officer who is faking being a good guy, but is actually a bad guy. It's speaking English with that German accent sounds like just goofy enough that like you kind of seem lighthearted, but we know that he's part of the Nazi war machine. So there's that Mm -hmm. undercurrent of like tension there. It's it perfectly lines up. Yeah, he's got the circular glasses, too. I mean, this guy was just perfectly creepy slash polite. I so very well cast. love this actor. You haven't seen Dark. He's like the main character in Dark. Really? He is awesome. I was just beaming the fact when he showed up with the glasses and the cut and everything. And I was like, nice. this fucking motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, so funny. He's a great actor. Well, as I understand kid. it. Poaching dark actors is the way to go if you are looking for a German actor. That's fair. That's fair. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a good scene. It it one emphasizes that the German information gathering Gestapo, the security, like whoever gathers their information does a great job of doing it because they already know who Bucky is. Mm -hmm. They know where he was born. They know that he's married. Although, despite what he he hears, he, yeah. he doesn't seem like Bucky's been married. But, I, I mean, he's trying to play good cop and bad cop all at the same time. He gives them some whiskey, a cigarette. He he dangles, oh, I know who won the World Series. Would you yeah. like to know? And he's interested in Buck Clevins. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out if he was interested in Buck Clevins or if he was dangling information about Buck as a means to get more information from Bucky. That seemed to be what he was doing in my perspective. Mm. I thought he was he was using the Gestapo to almost as like the the bad cop elephant in the room combo. That's true. Where it's like they're the bad guys. It's like I'm just trying to kind of help you out here. So like. I'm trying to say I'm a flyer, a man of honor. Yeah, type of deal. (laughs) So I just thought everything in the scene, all of it worked together. Bucky just being that guy that we know he is, just John Mm -hmm. Egan Major, no serial number, all that kind of stuff. So I I just really enjoyed this scene. It's one of my favorite scenes, I think, from the whole show so far. Tons of bias baked into that because I love Lewis Hoffman, the, the German actor, but yeah. He was fooling yeah. me too. I was like, dude, he's he's kind of like he's not a Gustavo guy. Like he's obviously trying to help him out a little bit. No. 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 He's good at his job. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. So it's it is interesting though, because the when he brings up the Gestapo, he essentially says, Hey, we know where you were originally captured, but unfortunately, there's no log of you as being a member of the crew of any of mm-hmm. the planes shot down. And if we don't have verification of that. That would make you a spy, Major Egan. Yeah. And he says, well, they would be mistaken. And he gets dead silent, says the Gestapo are never mistaken. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was felt to me. And I was because I was trying to rack my brain, trying to remember what the deal was on the mission itself, because we know that he's Bucky. This is like has kind of wiggled his way into odd spots. Like, remember the one mission where he kind of makes up that position where they're all like backup commanding pilot yeah and they were like i never heard of that shit type of deal so i was trying to remember if that was something that happened before the the mission that they went down but i now realizing it was mostly just an interrogation tactic to get more information like to get bucky to shake and be like no this is like what happened 
I could see it both ways because while he was the defined commanding pilot for the Munster mission, you also got to remember he was supposed to be on a weekend pass that yeah. weekend. So potentially they may have gotten their intel, I don't know, a week oh, prior yeah. before he made the game time decision to come back from his weekend pass early. So that's it yeah. could have been truth. That's got to be it right there. The combo of the two. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But again, I think we're agreed that was one of the better scenes of the yeah. episode, if not the series as a whole. Very well acted by what was his name again? Lewis Hoffman. Lewis Hoffman. Hoping yeah. hoping to see more of him. You know how I like my Germans. Yeah, shout out. Shout out. Okay, so after he kind of doubles down and just gives him, I'm Major Egan, this is my dog tag number, you're not getting anything else. I think he wanted to know how many replacement bombers they were going to be expecting at Thorpe Abbott, but Houseman cannot get any more information out of him, so he gets put in a cell, and he promptly gets woken up from that cell and put, kind of just ushered onto a train, assumedly to take them to the POW camp. This was a powerful saying a lot yep. without saying much of anything when you see the soldiers being put onto their train and then you see a train filled to the brim. Clearly, there are women and children on there, arms reaching out. And this was a train full of Jews, most likely going to a concentration camp. Yeah. And I think all the American soldiers knew that, too. Yeah, I think this was a a perfectly timed scene as well. I mean, we're into six episodes. We've spent a lot of time, I would say removed from the actual impacts, effects, reasons of the war. We've spent a lot of time in planes, in barracks, et cetera, et cetera. And not to say that we're like, as viewers, we've like lost sight of what's going on, but just this like very stark, obvious heavy reminder that like this is what was happening and this is why everyone was so willing to get in these planes that's why everyone was so willing to keep getting in these planes and all of this stuff so not that i i don't i won't go as far as to say as i enjoyed it i thought it was just like a perfectly timed scene in the show it had to be there, I think, yeah. and it was only 10 seconds of screen time, but it was very powerful. And I agree with everything you just said. This kind of it's a reminder, like you said, it's a reminder, reminder, and it frames why these soldiers were doing what they're doing. So I completely agree. You said that very well. So after the train goes by, it's a very powerful scene. We see some poor sap try and make a break for it. Not sure where his head was at, but he gets promptly executed. And then they put the body on the yeah. train. Uh, that That's crazy. Bucky, too, <laughs> was, was pretty shook at that as well. You could tell that he was like, oh, yeah. shit. I'm just was thinking, like, too, you're riding the train. It's probably dark all that like you're just that you know you feel that space around you too like yeah you, it's just yeah it's hard no that that's got to be a horrible train ride no matter how you slice it you know what your destination is and we'll get to this last scene here i mean if they didn't finish this episode with the uplifting reveal that a lot of our friendly faces from the 100th are alive and well in the POW camp. This could have had a much, much more somber tone to the entire episode, but oh, yeah. 
they don't do that to us. And they do give us a little bit of a silver lining and that little bit of an uplift as he's being processed into the POW camp. Actually, a lot of soldiers are lined up at the fence. You know, there a lot of people are shouting out to people that they recognize. And we first see Crank and Murph. And then eventually we see Buck say, Johnny and at your two. Oh, it's good to see his face. That smile, too. And he looks great. Clean shaven still, from what I remember. (laughs) He always does. Yeah. And it's. I think in the subsequent episodes, we are going to get into what life is for these people. But I mean, Crank, Murph, and even Buck seem to be in pretty high spirits considering they're at a POW camp. I I think I'm going to do some research about how the different POWs were treated in World War II. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that'll be the main focus. You'll do research, which I'm sure is there's an ample amount of firsthand accounts of what it was like obviously the show had access to those as well so i'm interested to see what that's like it was giving me shawshank redemption vibes and i only say that because that's like one of the only prison movies that i've really seen of like the guys hanging out in the yard type of deal so it won't be i would say maybe as uplifting as shawshank is that the right word for shawshank no it's probably not but the ending of shawshank is fairly uplifting but we'll see if we get a prison break as well bucky doesn't seem like the type of guy he's already was thinking about getting out so he seems like the type of guy to try to get out of this place so we'll see (laughs) i don't know at a certain point you gotta cut your losses and he also saw how things can go wrong when you're being processed as a prisoner by german guards so that's fair I don't know. The The show is definitely going to get into what the day to day as a POW is, but preliminary returns seem as though they are in good spirits considering. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I guess yeah. the alternative being you blow up in the sky and you're no longer alive. So maybe making mm-hmm. it to somewhere with people, you know, on two feet on the ground probably feels somewhat good for sure. But End of part six. This is going to be at least one of our settings for the rest of the show is the Luftwaffe controlled Stalag Luft three in I think it's either Sonag, Germany or Salag, Germany. I will do some research on that as well for the next episode. And we incorrectly stated that there were eight episodes. This is going to be a nine part series. So we have three episodes left. Yes. Shout out to the YouTube comments for keeping us honest and keeping Mm. us informed. That's a that's a devastating combo, which we appreciate. Yep. And as we are admitting our faults, I would like to say I caught up with my brother, my middle brother, who was a friend of the pod, who told me that we were pronouncing Barry Keegan's name wrong. It is, in fact, Barry Keoghan. So I hope I am saying that correct now. If not, he can correct me next time we see each other. But shout out to friend of the pod, my brother. And also shout out. shout out to perhaps a bigger friend of the pod, his wife. So shout out yeah. to, to shout the out, happy shout out. shout out, shout out. It's good to get these shout outs. Yeah. But like I said, that's going to be the end of our part six. Kyle, do you have anything left to say to the people? I do not believe so. The one thing I will say, interested to see how Riley, no, I'm Riley. Where did I get that? Quinn and Bailey weave their way back into our story. There seems to be. A lot of plates being juggled, storyline being juggled. So we'll just have to find out. We're on to part seven. I think there is some closure that at least 
I would like to see from that storyline. So I completely agree. I, I hope we haven't seen the last of them in their journey, hopefully to try and make it back to England. Yeah. But if that's all you got, that's all I got. As always, if you like what you heard, give Benchtown TV a follow on Twitter and Instagram. Visit us on BenchtownTV.com and subscribe to our show on Spotify, YouTube, the Apple Podcast app, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Once again, we are Benchtown TV. And thanks for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.